Welcome to the Apostles Houston podcast, and thanks for listening. As a community following Jesus in Houston, we want to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do the kinds of things Jesus did. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we invite you to join us for worship each Sunday at 10 a.m. in Houston Heights. For more information, visit us online at ApostlesHouston.org. Well, uh, this morning we uh, are going to continue in our celebration of Advent, uh, and one of the things we do each week is we have a special uh, time for the kids. Now, this is a little bit different than what we've done uh, in the past during Advent. We're inviting all kids who are in third grade and above to stay in the service. So if you're third grade or above, you're going to stay in the service. If you're second grade or below, I want to invite you right now, you can come down to the front and you can go right through uh, those doors with our Kids Time volunteers. So grades two and down, all the way to five years old, you can go right through that door. You can just follow Mr. Les. Mr. Les, can you just wave so everybody knows where to go? All right, there we go. Great. Okay. Hi. All right. So if you are uh, third grade or uh, above, uh, we have a little handout for you. We've been doing this the last few weeks, and so if you raise your hand, if you'd like to get one of these handouts, we got those being passed out and some crayons, and basically this is a sermon scavenger hunt, so your goal during the sermon is to listen and be able to fill in all the blanks on that page, uh, and so we get the privilege of hearing from Pastor Eric Mingle this morning, so he's going to be talking uh, to us about the passage we just read in Matthew, so parents, if you want to help your kids open their Bible to Matthew 11, verses 2 through 11, that would be great. Uh, And then afterwards, kids, if you want to come see me at the front, I will have a special surprise for you if you'll bring me your sheet, if you'll bring me your sermon scavenger hunt. Does that sound good? Oh, man. Does that sound good? Okay. All right. Great. All right. Great. So you got to listen to the sermon, kids. You got to pay attention, fill out your form, then come see me for candy. Oop. I gave it away a surprise. Okay. Uh, Great. All right. Eric, would you go ahead and come on up? Uh, I'm so excited that we get to hear this morning from our, our brother Eric. Eric's the pastor here, uh, director of Life Groups, uh, which is a central ministry to us here and the way we do life and follow Jesus together. And so I'm really grateful. We'd love to just pray for Eric as he comes and bring God's word to us this morning. So, Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for Eric. Uh, Lord, we just pray your blessing on him. Uh, Lord, that you have given him words for your people. And so, Holy Spirit, would you just minister to us through these words in the Gospel of Matthew. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thanks, brother. Well, good morning. I'm curious, David, do I get some candy if I can fill out the handout? You do. Okay. (laughs) Might be an unfair advantage. Uh, Well, uh, good morning to you. My name is Eric Mingle, like David said, and uh, it's an honor to be here with you this morning and to share with you from God's Word, uh, especially on this third Sunday of Advent. Uh, I've titled this sermon, Should We Look for Another?, because I believe it takes us straight to the heart of the meaning of Advent. As, you heard, uh, as you've heard, the season of Advent is a season focused on waiting and watching for the coming of Christ, but not just the first coming, also the second coming. And of course, just as David mentioned last week, there's no one better suited to be our guide in this season than John the Baptist. As many of you know, John the Baptist was the great herald, the great forerunner of Christ's arrival, announcing the age announcing the end of an age dominated by evil, dominated by the powers of sin and death, announcing the arrival of the kingdom 
of God. In a word, lest we forget its true meaning, John the Baptist is the great herald of Christmas. But there's just one problem, as my sermon title suggests. John, he's not sitting in the company of fellow believers in a beautiful church in a land that tolerates the free worship of God. Rather, John, who came onto the scene with guns blazing, uh, with great confidence that Jesus was the lamb who takes away the sin of the world, calling out religious hypocrisy left and right, is now sitting in prison. He's now sitting in darkness, staring down a destinance, asking himself the questions that many of us have asked in the face of immense suffering and disillusionment. Have we made a mistake? Have we believed in vain? Is Jesus the one to come, or should we look for another? These are all hard questions. And if you've asked them before, I want you to know that they're also fair questions, because these are Advent questions. But what's important to see is that these questions don't scare Jesus or make him question his calling or his purpose. They don't even make him question his esteem for John in any way. He says he's the greatest man who's ever been born of a woman, ever. On the contrary, John's doubts provide Jesus the opportunity to both reaffirm John's identity and to help him understand the true meaning of Advent, which is our focus this morning. So what is Advent all about? In a word, I would say that Advent is all about the kingdom of God. Let's look again at verses 4 through 5 from chapter 11 of Matthew. Uh, In response to John's questions, should we look for another, or are you the one to come? Jesus says to John's disciples, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up. And the poor have good news preached to them. Now, if you've been listening this morning carefully, you'll recognize that Jesus' response was anything but original, but in fact, actually lifted straight from the passage that we read from Isaiah 35 and also partially from Isaiah 61, two classic passages in the Old Testament about the salvation of God in the beginning of a new day, a new era, which Jesus called the kingdom of God. Now, unless you're an Anglophile, or you've been watching The Crown, that moniker, the kingdom of God, can, can sound pretty confusing. What is the kingdom of God? Is it somewhere in heaven, or is it on earth? Is it somewhere in the future, or is it present? And the answer is, of course, yes. It's both and. And not just because we're Anglicans. Rather, it's because the kingdom of God is not limited by space and time. Rather, God's kingdom, as the Gospels demonstrate is everywhere the sovereign reign and rule of God is both recognized and reckoned with. Let me say that again. The kingdom of God is anywhere and everywhere. The sovereign reign and rule of God is both recognized and reckoned with. Or perhaps you prefer Christ's words as he does in his prayer. The kingdom of God is what happens when God's will is done on earth as in heaven. And what John is saying, what Jesus is saying to John, albeit somewhat cryptically through Isaiah 35 and 61, is that the kingdom has come. The kingdom has arrived. 
and therefore so has the king. Jesus is the king. John has not believed in vain. He does not need to look for another. And here's why that's important. It means that we don't either. If John didn't need to look elsewhere for God's kingdom to come on earth as in heaven, then neither do we. In his famous book, Confessions, St. Augustine penned these famous words. He said, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. Some of you may know this, but Augustine, he was one of the most brilliant figures in the ancient world. And he pursued happiness somewhat successfully by the world standards and just about everywhere you could pursue happiness before he made this realization that he was made for God and his heart was restless until he found rest in him. In the words of one of my favorite songwriters, Jason Isbell, it was as though for Augustine, home was a dream one he'd never seen until Christ came around. Only in Augustine's case, home wasn't a place, but a person. Home wasn't where he was from, it's where he belonged. In the language of the New Testament, home was the kingdom of God. And because Christ had come, he didn't need to seek happiness anywhere else, ever again. And therefore, neither do we. The kingdom has come. Let's get back to John. Because if the kingdom has come, this raises a really awkward question for him. If the kingdom has come and Christ has come to set the captives free, then why is John still in prison? And spoiler alert, why is John going to die? Put another way, if the kingdom of God has come here and now, then why doesn't it feel like it? Why doesn't it look like the kingdom has come on earth as in heaven. Once again, Scripture gives us the answer. In Luke chapter 4, when Jesus begins his ministry, he does so by reading from the very same passage of Isaiah that he just gave in response to John. Isaiah 61, he says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. All these are very familiar themes if you've been listening this morning. These are themes that are all over Isaiah 35, Psalm 146, and Matthew chapter 11. But what's interesting is that Jesus stops short of the very next verse, which speaks of the day of God's vengeance against the enemy of God's people. In Scripture, this is often referred to as the day of the Lord, a reference to the day when God is going to come again to judge all that is evil and all that stands against him and his good creation. And this omission for Jesus is odd because it's not as though Jesus is uh, embarrassed by the idea that God will come again to judge the earth. In fact, he speaks about judgment almost as often as he speaks about God's love because it's in his judgment that he makes right all the wrongs of history that those he loves have endured. So why does he leave out that next verse? If you read carefully, 
when Jesus speaks of the judgment of God, he always speaks about it, almost always in the future tense, when he comes again. In other words, Jesus didn't forget the next line. And Jesus isn't denying Isaiah's prophecy about God's salvation and God's judgment. He's simply speaking about them as two separate events that will come at two separate times. Sometimes this is what we call the already and not yet kingdom of God. The kingdom has arrived in the incarnation of Christ. Christmas has come, but it does not yet come in full and it won't come until he returns again at the end of the age. And this is what Advent is all about. It's about learning to live faithfully between the times, between his first coming and his second, between the arrival of his kingdom and the consummation of it when he returns. Of course, it's the living faithfully that's the sticking point. John is still in prison, and John is still going to die. And the reason, as hard as it is to accept, is because that's what it means to follow a crucified and risen Messiah. It means taking up your cross and following Jesus to his. Naturally, this is not what we want to hear or do, but it's what Jesus and the Gospels and the all of what it means to be a Christian is all about. Consider briefly Christ's Sermon on the Mount. In the most extensive body of teaching, he explains what it means to carry our cross. He says it's to live by the law of sacrificial love. To carry your cross means to live by the law of sacrificial love. He says to his disciples, you've heard an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, if someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other. And if someone makes you go one mile with him, you go with him two miles. As soon as you probably know, at this time in Israel's history, they were occupied by Rome, and it was a very oppressive rule. For example, at any given moment, a Roman soldier could stop a Jewish man and force him to carry his freight, to carry his pack, whatever it was. This was to remind him of who was in charge and where real authority lied. Nevertheless, there was one caveat. He could, never, he could only make the man carry his freight for one mile. After that, he had to let him go. A fine balance had to be struck between reminding them of who was in charge and leading to a revolt. And it's in that fine line, in that in-between, that Christ says to his disciples, Go with them two miles anyway. Now, why do you think he says that? Let me ask you. On the first mile, who do you think was in charge? The Roman soldier, right? On the second mile, who do you think was in charge? That's right, the follower of Christ. And most importantly, with every step of that second mile, the power of sin that enslaves that Roman soldier, leading him to perpetuate such oppressive evil, gets weaker and weaker as his would-be victim demonstrates where true authority lies in sacrificial love in the cross. 
What is Jesus saying? He's saying that if you fight fire with fire, fire will always win. But if you fight fire with sacrificial love, the kind of love demonstrated on the cross of Christ, then God's kingdom will burst forth on earth as in heaven in ways you've never imagined. And that's what living faithfully between the times is all about. It's not about rolling out the tanks or dropping bombs from the skies on our enemies. It's about sending out the meek and the merciful, the pure and the peacemakers, to turn the other cheek, to go the second mile. And sometimes, if your name is John, to bear witness to this coming kingdom with your very life. This, of course, is because that's exactly what Christ has done for us. Just like the Roman soldier, we too were born east of Eden. We too were born enslaved to the powers of sin and death, but God has shown us love in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, setting us free from the powers of sin and death. And now he sent us out to prepare the world for his glorious return by doing the same. This is what Advent is all about. In closing, I'd like to leave you with the words of Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. He may not have been the greatest man to have ever been born of a woman, but he does exemplify for us what it means to be faithful between the times to the crucified and risen Messiah. Dr. King writes this, To our most bitter opponents we say, we shall match your capacity to inflict suffering by our capacity to endure it. We shall meet your physical force with soul force. Do to us what you will, and we shall continue to love you. We cannot in all good conscience obey your unjust laws, because non-cooperation with evil is as much a moral obligation as cooperation with good. So throw us in jail, and we shall still love you. Bomb our homes and threaten our children, and we shall still love you. Send your hooded perpetrators of violence into our community at the midnight hour and beat us and leave us half dead, and we shall still love you. But be assured that we will wear you down by our capacity to suffer. And one day we shall win our freedom, but not only for ourselves. We shall so appeal to your heart and conscience that we shall win you in the process, and our victory will be a double victory. Friends, that's the gospel. And that, I submit to you, is what Advent is all about. This is what it means to live faithfully between the times. It is seldom glorious. It is never easy. But in the words of Christ, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Let us pray. Almighty God, we give you thanks this morning for the opportunity to gather in your name, to worship you, and to behold your glory in the face of Christ through the opening of Scripture and the breaking of bread. We pray now 
that having heard your word, that you would give us the grace to obey so that we may bear fruit to your glory, our joy in the life of the world. And we pray especially, Lord, for the courage to live faithfully between the times by taking up our cross and bearing witness to yours so that those still living in darkness may find our lives to be a light showing them the way home. We pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks again for listening. We hope this resource has been helpful to you. If you have questions or are just looking for more information, you can check out our website at apostleshouston.org.